I'm Bolomar Sanchez, and this is my U.S. History Projects for Vietnam. And with me for my special guest today is my grandfather, Greg Smith. So, Grandpa, where, where were you born? Omaha, Nebraska. What year were you born? August 1st, 1948. All right. Now, can I ask you a question? Did you, what, what how did you, like, how did you get into the military? Well, Baldy, I was, I was, I lived in South Omaha. I went to South High School. Got to hang around with the wrong kind of crowd. Uh, really, I was a good guy, but uh, when you hang around the wrong people, things happen. So uh, I had gotten some trouble, and, and the judge told me that I was a, when I was a senior, he says, uh, either I'm going to have to go uh, I, can, I can go in the three things, uh, the, the Navy, Army, or go to jail. And naturally, I picked the Army. Uh, my dad was in the Army. He got shot up in World War II. But I picked the Army and, and, uh, and got my education. I went to Colorado. And in Colorado, I, I wanted to get my uh, a few credits that I had. Uh, in order to uh, graduate, so I got my uh, GED through uh, uh, Colorado, and then after, uh, before uh, I had two, I had two weeks left uh, to get my GED, and I come down on levy to go to Vietnam. That was in February of six, uh, February second, '69. They shipped me over to Vietnam, and. I wasn't an infantry. I didn't take any. I wasn't trained to be an infantry man. I went. I, I went to tanker school, and then I uh, then I done some other stuff uh, for engineers uh, as part of the engineer group. But when I got to Vietnam, uh, out of all the soldiers that were on a plane, there must have been two hundred some of us on that plane. I was the only one that they called me out in the ranks, and they says uh, Smith Gregory, and. I stood by him, and he said, you stay right here. we got someone who's going to pick you up right now. And I stayed there, and, and all of a sudden, he says, you're going in the infantry. I says, I told him, I said, what? I, I wasn't training. I'm a tanker. He goes, well, we need a, we need a driver uh, to operate the APC uh, uh, carrier. That's a troop carrier. Uh, it's a track and with a 50 uh, caliber machine gun on it. And he said, we need a driver. And if you can drive a tank, you can drive one of these. So uh, I started being a driver. And when you're a driver for six months, uh, if you make it that long, uh, because most of the time uh, the snipers will uh, try to hit the driver to, uh, to uh, get the soldiers off the track so they can shoot them. So I... Um, I made it six months without getting wounded, and I become the track commander. And when I become the track commander, there was a, a major uh, on my track. And that track, uh, Major Baker was his name, and uh, they call him a killing buzzard. Well, his title was the lead officer in intelligence. So even though when you say that you're an intelligence specialist, doesn't mean that you graduated from college or anything else. You, you, they trained me. I was on the job training to be an intelligence specialist. My job was to, when 
when anybody got in a firefight, that's when uh, uh, company A, B, or C got in a firefight. We had to get there with our track, help them out, and I'd collect all the uh, all the bodies, count them, uh, take all the documents off <coughs> off the bodies, uh, the ones that were wounded. I'd take to the site and interrogate them, find out where they where they come from, how many's in our unit. I had to do all that. So as a, a average soldier going into combat. I was probably seeing a lot more action because I had to be three or four different places at one time. And uh, I've been on ambush patrol, I've been on sniper patrol, I've been on uh, all kinds of different things because they wanted me to capture as much documents that I can to find out where these Viet Cong were coming from. So as I was picking up all my information, I found out there was something wrong with this war. Uh, and in uh, late 69, uh, uh, I found out that um, I had new body counts. Uh, and it, to my amazement, uh, there was a, a lot of Chinese that we were killing. Uh, probably twice as many Chinese as there was Vietnamese. And so I, I used to try to tell the major, my officer, that this ain't right. He goes, where, where are they coming from? And he said, well, they're coming down from Ho Chi Minh Trail, Greg. And he said, don't you ever say this to anybody. Because uh, if they found out, uh, we'd probably get to go to war with China. So anyhow, I used to tell people that, uh, you know, especially the major, I said, well, he goes, when you get out, that's a different story. This war will be over then. So uh, when I when I got wounded, I, I didn't I, I didn't want I didn't want the Purple Heart because I, I didn't lose a leg. I, I happened to get my boot blown off of my foot by incoming, and then the second time I got my ear blown out uh, by a bomb. And uh, they asked me if I want a Purple Heart. Then I said, no, don't put me in for a Purple Heart. And he said, why not? I said, give it to those guys that lost an arm, uh, got shot in the shoulder, lose a, a leg, a foot, or whatever. Uh, and I told them that's why I wanted it to be. So on the last firefight that I got into in, in Vietnam, or Cambodia, I should say, went to Cambodia for eight, 18 days. We lost 52% of our battalion. Uh, fought every day. Uh, first two first two days we were in. Well, the first day we were in, uh, we we eliminated uh, at least 200 uh, uh, NVA uh, NVA and North uh, North Korean soldiers uh, uh, were North Korean soldiers uh, are not NVA uh, Viet Cong. Sorry about that. Uh, Viet Cong and North uh, Vietnamese soldiers. That was their R&R &R, uh, uh, center for them to take a rest and relaxation. So when we invaded that, uh, we caught them offhand, but by the time they found out we were there, uh, we lost a lot of soldiers. But we we killed uh, probably five times as many soldiers that they killed us. Uh, leaving there, uh, it was terrible. It, uh, we had to get out of there because we are just losing too many people. So we got back over, and uh, as I was getting close to ETS and getting out, 
the sergeant, uh, I had to go through command, chain of command, so the sergeant says, uh, I said, Sergeant, I'm getting ready to go out, I'm getting ready to go home. It's almost 30 days. Uh, I'm supposed to be in base camp to ETS out. And he says, uh, uh, Greg, you're, we can't find your records. I says, well, you got my records. He says, uh, why are you doing this to me? And he says, well, we ain't doing nothing to you. He goes, you ain't getting out. And uh, so anyhow, a couple of weeks later, as I, there, I was telling the guys I was with, I says, you know, guys, I've been here. I'm the oldest one here. He goes, we know that, Smitty. He goes, why are they doing this? I says, I don't understand. So one day when I was out in a, a, a rubber plantation uh, where we, we had a lot of fighting at that time, the general come out and uh, to uh, find out what was going on uh, with the company. And uh, I had to go to him without going through the chain of command because uh, I felt that they, they were going to try to keep me there and not send me home. And that was wrong. So I told the general, I said, General, I says, I know I, I can't go through a chain of command. They won't let me go through a chain of command to talk to you. He goes, well, why is that, Smitty? And I says, well, IETS in, in, a, in a couple of weeks. And he says, what are you doing out here in this field? And I says, they told me I can't go, uh, go home. And they said, I lost my records. He says, you take my helicopter. There's a two-man helicopter, a pilot and a, heli in, in a, in a journal. So I, they took me into Coochie. And uh, as I got there, the, uh, the pilot went back to get the general. And when he come back, he, and he told uh, his clerk, he says, take Smitty down in the bunker and, and show him uh, all the records of all the soldiers that are and our company would be in that bunker, in that book. So it just happened to be lucky that I, the clerk of that, of that uh, uh, general <clears throat> was from Omaha, Nebraska. I didn't know him, but anytime that you, two of you are there and both of you are from Omaha, that, that was something else. So uh, he took me down in a bunker. Uh, he uh, told me, he says, uh, this bunker was probably about a 20 by 20, and it, it, books were stacked up to the ceiling. And he told me, he goes, you got here February 2nd? I said, yeah. He says, you'll be in, in, in these first rolls right here, two or three rolls. You'll be in here somewhere. So I just, at random, picked out a book and, and, uh, and looked through the second one, and I found my name. And uh, I took it to him, and the clerk says, give me your book, I'll take it into the general. I said, no, you're not taking this book into the general. I'm taking it into the general. So I walked into the general, and I said, sir, I said, here's, here's my name. This is when I got here. He says, Smitty, why are you still here? I said, sir, I told you the story. They don't want, they're really they're trying to kill me. And uh, he says, oh, that can't be. I said, sir. Go, when, next time you go out there, you go ask any of the guys that know me how long I've been there. They tell you, Smitty's, as long as, uh, Smitty's been here longer than anybody else. So anyhow, uh, he come back, and I didn't know what happened to the, uh, the sergeant, uh, the 
first lieutenant, second lieutenant, uh, captain, major, and I don't think a colonel was involved. But anyhow, after after I ETSed out, uh, I had a block on my shoulder. I was really mad because of what they're trying to do to me. But when I got home, um, they sent me uh, they sent me uh, medals, my medals that I earned. I didn't realize I was getting them, but in order to get them, uh, you had to be recommended <coughs> for the for the medals for for what I had done. <clears throat> Excuse me. So anyhow, I got my medals, and they sent me uh, these two books about what was involved in in and getting at medals like this. And uh, so uh, the president sent me the book with the bronze star uh, with it. And uh, I didn't tell anybody for many, many years. And uh, even my brother. And one day, about 20 years later, I says, he asked me a question about Vietnam. I says, you know, he goes, well, did you get anything? He was in the Navy. He says, did you get any medals? I says, yeah. I told him, I said, I got bronze star. He says, you didn't get no bronze star. I says, then why did you ask me? So I had to go home and show him my bronze star. And he says, I cannot believe it. You you never did tell anybody this. I says, no, just like just like a Purple Heart. I don't I don't want them because I just I went there to do what I was supposed to do. But uh, after I went through all this. Um, uh, IETS and got to Oakland, California, and oh, they treated me bad. I had my uniform on, and they like they wanted to spit on me. So I told my cousin uh, Shireen that uh, take me to go get some civilian clothes. I said, get out of this uniform. I was proud to be an army uh, soldier. I was proud to uh, you know uh, I had to go what I'd, I had to do what I'd uh, done because the government wanted me to do it. So. Uh, I got my civilian clothes and everything, so it, it was a terrible struggle. When I got out from Vietnam to look for a job, I probably put in uh, probably 100 applications and no one would hire me. And I just went from one place to another place to another place to another place. So one day I says, I'm going to, someone says, you ever tried a railroad? I didn't know anything about the railroad. So I told them. I'd, I'd go up to headquarters, and I went to headquarters, and I, and I was vice president. Uh, so it was on a Friday, and I walked in his office, and he goes, can I help you? He says, yeah. He says, um, I'd like to get a job here at the Union Pacific. And he's, he says, uh, uh, well, no, we're not hiring right now. And he says, uh, as I was walking, I said, well, I, I figured that. He goes, well, hold it. He goes, oh, you were in the Army? And I says, yeah. And he says, where were you stationed? I says, Coochie. And he goes, Coochie? I says, yeah. He says, my boy is in Coochie right now. He goes, come on in here, I want to talk to you. So he sat me down, we talked, and we talked. And he says, um, my boy gets out in a couple of weeks. And, and, I, and he says, is he okay? I says, he's in base camp. Uh, he, he's uh, protected uh, pretty much. Viet Cong is not going to run uh, base camps like that big. So I says, he'll be fine. He's getting all the shots, getting ready to get home, and uh, he'll be fine. And he says, um, and then I talked to him for about an hour in his room, 
about you know what what I did and what his son was doing, and his son was in uh, uh, Wolfhounds, and that's the name of the group. And so I was I was with the Bobcats, and so anyhow, he he says um, he told me this is Friday. He goes Sunday. Could you go uh, 280 miles away to Gothenburg, Nebraska, to go to work? I says I'll go anywhere. And so he said, I'm going to send you there on the B&B gang, uh, Buildings and Bridges. So that's how I got from, when I got out of Vietnam, and I just lucked out because that uh, guy, that vice president I was talking to, happened to tell me that his son was in, in uh, uh, 25th Infantry. But I didn't, I didn't uh, know him because there was too many of us. So... That's how I got that job, and I worked for Union Pacific for 37 years, and I raised three kids and and many grand and nine grandchildren. So, and uh, that's about the story of my life, and 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 been through hell in Vietnam. So I wouldn't, to this day, I, I I tell myself, was it really worth worth going going there, especially when the two senators come on TV in '85, I think it was, says if it wasn't. If them two senators said no, we uh, wouldn't vote on it. We wouldn't have went to Vietnam. But things happen in history, and that's what happened. So uh, a lot of fighting, uh, a lot of things that um, were good, and a lot of things were bad. But uh, I made out without getting wounded. Uh, Major Baker, that my intelligence uh, officer, uh, ended up getting wounded and sent sent back to the United States. So I guess. Uh, Someone was looking out for me, so that's that's about. Uh, I had many many stories, but it's going to take many many hours for me to discuss all these stories. It's all right, but when you came back home and they sent you all these medals, how many medals do you think you had in total? Oh, gee, I can't. Probably, I, I had several Vietnamese uh, medals. I had. Uh, Everybody gets a good conduct medal. The biggest medal I got, like I was telling you about, it, was that Bronze Star uh, uh, medal, and uh, and the and the book to go with it that uh, that they sent uh, sent to me, uh, along with that uh, uh, with that medal. Could you tell Could you tell me how you think you earned the bronze medal? How do you think you earned it? Uh, we went to. Um, we're going on. Uh, a mission. Uh, we're supposed to go on a, a one-day mission. Uh, we found out there's some Viet Cong coming across uh, the river, and we were supposed to block them. And uh, when I was uh, setting up our camp, uh, that's you, you get in there, you, you try to pick up, uh, try to get out in, in an area that's uh, not not so much woods, uh, open area. We set out our Claymore mines, we set our, our uh, uh, fence in front of us so no rockets could come in after us. Uh, and all of our uh, all of our ammo's up there on the, on the track, our 50, I was a 50 uh, machine gunner. So one night when uh, the guys, uh, a few of our guys on my track and a few on another track go out on uh, on um, Night patrol. 
so I had a, since I was a track commander, I had to stay with my track in case they tried to come in and overrun us. So I'd say about, oh, it must have been about midnight. Uh, I'm doing watch on my track, and all of a sudden we start getting incoming. And uh, all of a sudden we're taking rounds. Well, being a 50-gunner, I knew uh, that when you started shooting, you just don't shoot anywhere. I used to pick out trees. So when you pick out a tree, uh, the 50 caliber will go through it. And when it comes out the other end, you get splinters that fly everywhere. That was my best chance of getting a Viet Cong than just trying to shoot uh, randomly at anything. I shot at the trees, and I'll let the trees uh, knock them off. So as I was firing them, the other uh, personnel carriers were mounting their 50 barrels. You can tell that when the, when the bullets come out of the, of the 50 machine gun, uh, you got a little dip in the, in the barrel and their bullets go in the circle. So it's time either you get out behind your shield and, and put your asbestos gloves on and take that barrel off and put another one on. Well, you got to understand, when you're doing that, they're still firing at you. I can hear the bullets uh, zinging by my head. I can hear them hitting my shield. But you have to do that. So all out of uh, about 11 of the tracks, uh, I was the only track that changed the barrel. And when I, the guy that I was with was... a, a a Viet Cong, but he was my interpreter, and, and we were, uh, he come over on the American side, and uh, I told him, he says, Smitty, we're getting overran. I says, let's get back, let's get back on that track and tell the guys we're going to get overran. So we got up there, we got some more, I says, you hand, hand me the 50 caliber uh, ammo boxes, put them up where I'm at, get my oil so when I start shooting that my breech don't uh, weld itself together. So I just pour oil on it and start putting my uh, shooting my machine gun. And after I shoot so many, I hold off, put more oil on it, wait a little while, maybe about a minute or so, then I start shooting again. Well, we didn't get overran. That morning when the fighting stopped, uh, they didn't want it to fight no more in the morning because they knew that uh, uh, we were going to get support coming in. Uh, so we went out there and got the body count, and uh, I happened to see a Vietnamese guy, and he got a machine gun uh, hit uh, six times in the lower body. He was still alive. Well, he was all drugged up. Most of them are drugged up before they go uh, into a fight. That was our advantage. Uh, when they're like that. So he was, my interpreter was asking him, why, what was, what was your plans? He says, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for that 150 caliber machine gun, we were coming after you. He goes, all the rest of them, we knew they were gonna burn up their barrels. He goes, but that one machine gun didn't, he didn't burn up his barrel. And then, then everybody says, me, that was you. I says, yeah. And uh, so 
after I we got back to Coochie and nothing was said, no more. And uh, and one of the guys I was with, he's from uh, he's in uh, Bravo Company, and uh, he's he's in uh, he lived in uh, out by Lincoln, Nebraska. He says, um, Smitty, he says that lieutenant got the silver star for that, for what you've done. I said, what? He says, he got the silver star. He says, he saved this outfit. I says, he wasn't even there. He says, what? He says, he he wasn't there. He didn't know me. He didn't get on my machine gun. He took all the credit. And that's why I felt real bad that he would do something like that. So that's, that's the way history is also. I know what I done, and he know what he didn't do. So, and that Viet Cong uh, told him if it wasn't for that one guy to do that, we would have overran him. So there's many times that uh, when you get in situations, um, you, you just you have to do what you have to do. Now I got post-traumatic stress disorder. It's it's uh, something that nobody wants. Uh, I happen to have it, uh, but. Um, it's something I have to live with the rest of my life. Uh, I'll be in survival mode the rest of my life. Um, uh, I go to VA once in a while because I really don't like going there, but I have to get get medicine uh, to overcome with the problems that I got. So it's uh, just uh, it's what it is, and and I'm glad I didn't ever think I'd ever be lived to 50 years old. Now I'm 70 years old now. Hopefully I can live another 20 years. And, uh, but, uh, I, I don't talk too much about it, but the psychiatrist and psychologist, when I come back, says I needed to do that because if I didn't, it'd eat me up like cancer. He says, uh, just, just talk about it. Talk about what you went through. You know, you're not, I'm not a hero. I'm just, I'm just someone that, Went over there to do a job. That's all I considered myself as doing, and uh, and so that's how I that's how I got that uh, bronze star. I didn't even know I was going to get it until they put me in for it. The guy says Smitty is the one who should get that medal, not that uh, not that lieutenant. So about uh, about two months later, uh, here here comes the. Um, it must have been about two months. I can't hardly remember. It's been 50 years. Here come my uh, my uh, the book and the medals uh, that I that I got from uh, Vietnam. How surprised were you when you realized that you got the bronze medal? Yeah, it was it was it was meant to come because the soldiers that that were with me knew. What I did. So you weren't really surprised when you earned it. You weren't really surprised. I, I didn't know I was going to get it. Mm-hmm. They put me in. They told they told me that 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 lieutenant that was a lie. He wasn't there. He says Smitty's the one. That's the machine gun that Smitty was on, and that's the last machine gun. And then you're still firing it. He went through all his all his uh, ammo, and uh, yeah, that's that's the way war goes sometimes. That's why there ain't too many lieutenants in each company anymore, because uh, sad to say, uh, a lot of them uh, die from friendly fire. 
Yeah, them lieutenants thought they knew everything about war. They lived out of the book. And I told them, throw that book away. I said, you're in a different situation here. So, yeah, they never listened, though. It was, it was a terrible war, but, uh, you know, we didn't get the respect like a lot of soldiers got in World War One, World War Two, and and uh, Afghan, Afghanistan and Kuwait and all them other places. So, you know, they had parades for them. We didn't have no parade. They didn't. There's a lot of times that people would ask me, were you in Vietnam? I'd tell them no, because how they felt that if you were in war, you were a baby killer. That's what they used to call us, baby killers. So it is what it is. So I'm married to a wonderful woman. We've been together for 50 years. I met her when I got out of Vietnam and, and still with her. And and uh, hopefully we'll be together for another 20 or 30 years. How do you feel? How do you feel about a lot of people after you guys had to leave Vietnam and you guys just had to abandon Vietnam? And I know that there are people from Vietnam, the Southern Vietnamese, that didn't feel safe in Vietnam because of. The Vietnam War, because of the war that was going on, and they thought they would all get killed, and they all had to come back to the United States with you guys. And a lot of people, and a lot of people say that America lost this war. Do you do you truly think that America lost that war, or no? Uh, being an intelligence specialist as I was, is I knew a lot more than anybody else did. Me and a major knew a lot more. Uh, like I was telling you about the body count, the Chinese that we were killing more Chinese. We actually wiped out uh, generations uh, from, I'd say, from 18 to 35. There was no more soldiers. But all the ones that we found dead were uh, real young, real young. Some were kids. And then a lot of them uh, were Chinese, like I was telling you. Uh, so if you eliminate that many people, we didn't lose. Uh, I I think too if if the generals would be the ones that would um, uh, control it control if if that controlled it instead of politics we would we still won I I do really do think we won and it uh, when uh, the uh, South Vietnamese soldiers were, were teaching them how to fight. Uh, a lot of them come back to the United States. Uh, the reason they come back is uh, the uh, North Vietnamese would have shot them or killed them, their families, because they, they helped us. I know several families myself that live by my house that come over here and they give them, uh, one showed me a check of $18,000 to start a a business or get a house or uh, become a U.S. citizen. And I, I didn't think that was wrong. I thought that was uh, what they did to help us was right because they didn't want to be communists. And uh, so there's, there's too much politics in that war, and that's what I didn't like. And I remember, I remember you telling me that you guys could have just ended it early just ended the whole entire Vietnam War, and it would have been done if you only would have walked. 
two more miles, and the war would have been done, you said. It would have been completely over. Yeah, if we would have made it into um, a section 15 miles into Cambodia, uh, it was a headquarters there. Uh, I call it headquarters. I don't know what anybody else calls it, but we got about 13 miles in, in into Cambodia, and we fought. It took us took us 13 days to get that far, and uh, fought every day. Then uh, general come down, give us orders to get out of the, uh, Cambodia. Uh, we were losing too many. I, I was telling uh, uh, the major, I said, we got a couple more miles. This, this just goes to two more miles and we'll end all this stuff. We'll do overtake, overtake it. No, we got to go back. All that fighting, all the soldiers that we lost, all we had to do is two more miles. So, How mad were you when you found out about that? Well, it could have been, too, that uh, we're losing so many soldiers uh, and maybe they are thinking if we don't get these soldiers out, uh, it would be like Custer's last stand. That's what I uh, thought about it. But when I was in there, I said, we might as well go the whole whole time, you know. And uh, it's, uh, they said, no, we got to get out. So we got out. And not only that, Baldy, uh, they got scorpions you got to deal with, and tarantulas, uh, poisonous snakes. I get so tired of that. I just to tell myself, I just like to get bit by one of them, so I can go back to the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and it, it, that's sad, but war is hell, though. War is hell. So there, there's many more stories, but uh, uh, it, it takes a long time uh, to uh, tell tell you what's really going on with the soldier that's been in there for a year. You can't do it in a day. I've also I've all the soldiers that are there. You say you don't consider yourself as a hero, but knowing that you might have saved so many soldiers during what you did to also earn the bronze star, saving all those soldiers that left their positions, just left. No and you seeing them just leaving, and you were the last one standing with somebody who wasn't even a soldier and was just an interpreter. How many soldiers do you think you saved going through just one year of Vietnam? That was it. Just one year. How many soldiers do you think you saved? Quite a few. Uh, I, didn't, I know I told you about the monkey I had, and a lot of people couldn't understand. How can you have a monkey? Well, I was, I was a mechanized. Uh, I, was, I had a track, and I had a leash on this monkey I bought for five bucks and um, at night uh, when you set up a compound and and a monkey has very good hearing he can hear a snake crawling on the ground uh, I, I keep him by me and then if he chat gets on my uh, shoulder his name was Budweiser and I said Budweiser and he start chattering in my ear if it's real loud there's something on the ground there's either a snake a rat or a vehicle. When we got into Cambodia, he started chattering in my, my ear. And I sent up some illumination, and there, there he was in the water in front of me. 
So I threw up another one, and I told the, uh, my interpreter, let's get down there, let's get them. And uh, we captured him. We interrogated him. He was going to come there to blow up the communication track. And the village outside us about, uh, oh, I'd, I'd say three or four blocks, uh, they were full of Viet Cong. They were going to come and get us. So uh, we had to make a decision. I told the captain, and I says, he asked me, he says, what do you think we should do, Smitty? And I says, well, sir, if if you acted like we blew up command and we put all the 105s facing that village when they come after us, we'll just blow them to hell, or don't do anything. They won't. They won't come in. We'll be ready for them anyhow. So until morning time, but nobody can go to sleep. Everybody has to stay up till morning time. Nobody's gonna have any watch. Always gonna be watching, really, but no, no sleeping. And we made it to morning time, and uh, uh, that's what they're waiting for. They said there are several hundreds of Viet Cong ready to come. So if it wasn't for that monkey, who knows? I probably wouldn't be here today. And the monkeys, uh, he not only saved my life, he saved a lot of lives. So when the general found out that I had a monkey, he came out there and questioned me. He goes, what are you doing with a monkey? He goes, you're a soldier. And I said, yeah, I'm a damn good soldier, too. And everybody says, you need to get rid of that monkey. And all the soldiers around me says, sir, he says, you can't do that. He's that monkey been with us for a long time. And he says, you take a monkey, he says, you know what, it's not all about just kill, kill, kill. Uh, th this monkey's one of the smartest monkeys I've ever seen. And so he made me put in uh, an Arvin camp with uh, South Indian uh, soldiers uh, working with us. And come to find out, uh, when I give it to him, I had uh, about a month left, and I says, okay, when I ETS out of, out of here, I want to come back and get my monkey. There he said I could take it back to the United States with me. Mm -hmm. So I went to go pick it up, and uh, uh, the papa son of that of that camp uh, told me uh, my monkey ran away. But if I had had my gun on me, I would have shot him. They ate him. They I gave him I gave him twenty bucks to feed my monkey, keep him nourished and everything. They they fattened him up and ate him. How mad were you when you found that out? How mad? Oh, man. I said if I would have had that gun on me at that time. I figured I didn't need to. When I went in, went in there, um, uh, my gun was in the track outside the compound. I went in there to get my monkey. Uh, I didn't have my uh, my gun. So I, I was mad. I was I, I would have shot him. But, uh, and, and everybody... Uh, they like that monkey, so I, I made a lot of money with that monkey too. So that's a different story. So, well, Baldy, I I know I could talk some more. Do you have any more questions? Mm, I I think that might be it, but try. I'm just trying to think. I don't think I don't think there is. How okay? How lucky do you think? You were to come home without like some kind of like damage to your body. I know there, I know there's damage to your brain with PTSD that you have, and you might have the and you 
and you're going to have that for the rest of your life. But you can control that, and you're getting better. And I know you, and I see every day, and you're getting better with it. I know you get mad, very. I know you get mad, angry a lot, but that's not a. But that's something that we can't blame you for. It's something that you went through a year going to a different country, knowing that you might not be able to come back, come back to your home. Well, I went to uh, VA and had my eyes checked, and uh, I've had six surgeries and. The woman doctor says I was in chemicals. I can see the scars on your eye, and that's only caused by chemical. And she said to me, "Great, what kind of chemical were you in?" I says, "Well, before we got into uh, Cambodia, they sprayed Agent Orange in a triple. Cambodia has the biggest uh, triple canopy jungle in the world. So they had a spray, and then we were in the next day, and the leaves were still falling off the tree when we got in there. Now." It cost me $250 a month for my uh, medicine for my eyes, and that's all I want them to do. It's just, I'm not after a million dollars, just after them to pay for my medicine for my eyes, and that's what I'm, I'm going to do now. So, uh, Bonnie, that's about all I can say right now, and uh, I uh, hope you do well on your report. Mm -hmm. Thank all right. You. Thank you, Grandpa. And that is it for my U.S. History project. Thank you to my grandfather for serving for our country, going to, going to fight in Vietnam, and doing what he had to do. And that is it. This is Baltimore Sanchez, and I've been good talking to you.